Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Those who know me not will come to know you as Lord and Savior as a result of this service this evening, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The king of Assyria sent his army under General Rabshakeh to Jerusalem. And he surrounded the city with his mighty army and came out from the horde of his army and spoke to the people who were on the walls of the city. These pitiful, insignificant little ants up on the high wall who thought that they had enough nerve to resist the mighty army of over 385,000 men that had circled the city. They remind me of a little poodle that we once had who was very brave as he stood inside the front door and barked at the bulldog outside. They would run sometimes for dear life if circumstances didn't put that door between him and his opposition. The general comes out and he shouts to the people up on the wall, What is this in which you have so much confidence? In what are you depending? On what are you depending? In what are you putting your trust? In whom do you have faith? To think that you could possibly resist this mighty army. That seems a little silly, doesn't it? That a few insignificant Jewish people inside the walls would dare to resist the mighty Assyrian army. The general said, are you going to trust in Egypt? Well, in fact, that's exactly what they were figuring on doing. They had already sent a runner to Egypt and said, hey, we need your help. Be our ally. Come and support us in our siege. Overcome the Assyrian army. Bring us out of our problems. That's exactly what people even today do, is search hither and yon for somebody to help them out of their difficulties and never think that the solution and the answer is in Jesus Christ the Lord. It seems as though the last place we will turn is to the Lord. When all else fails, when we're down and out, when we have faltered to the absolute bottom, we have reached the bottom and we know nowhere else to go, then maybe, just maybe, we might turn to Jesus Christ. And that's why people are in so much trouble, and that's why the Jewish nation was in so much trouble. They were looking everywhere else except to God for their security. 
They would not trust God. So they looked to Egypt. And the king, or the, the general said, if you're depending upon Egypt, I warn you that he might come and help you, and he might succeed in overcoming my army. But once he does, he will be your ruler. Isn't it true that whenever we turn to some other source for our energy, we find that that path becomes our ruler? Those who have turned to drink to solve their problems have discovered that alcohol has become uh, one that has dominion over them. Those who turn to the affairs of the world to solve their problems suddenly discover that they're a slave to the world. Now he says, if you say to me, verse 7, we trust in the Lord our God. Is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away? It's pretty difficult for a person to say, I believe in God who never bows down the knee to God. It's pretty difficult to say, I believe in God who will not accept the Son of God as his Savior. It's pretty difficult. Who's going to believe that we believe in God if we have not confessed our faith in Jesus Christ. His Son that He sent into the world to save us from our sins. And so it was certainly a farce for the Jewish nation to say, hey, we trust in God. God's going to deliver us when even the Rabshakeh himself said, now, it's quite obvious you people do not believe in God, for your altars have been torn down. You don't even have any altars. It's pretty difficult for the United States to say that we believe in God when our churches are empty. Don't tell me you believe in God if you don't come to church. This is the statement that you'll hear again and again and again. But I don't need the church to believe in God. In whom have you placed your trust if you have not placed it in the Son of God, whom that God you say you believe in has sent? Now, verse 8, he says, come on now. Let's you and I make a bargain. Come. Make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. Now what's the bargain? He's going to show them how, how weak and fickle they are. He said, I will give you 2,000 horses if you can put riders on them. The point was, the city of Jerusalem, Judea, was so weak that they couldn't even put Men on the horses that Assyria would provide. How weak they are. Now he says, now, if you're going to say the Lord's going to protect you, look down at verse 10, the latter part. 
the Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. I don't want to belabor this issue because there are more things that are important for us to say, but I think I cannot pass this verse by without warning you, not everybody who says, I come in the name of the Lord, is right. There are lots of people out there going around as wolves in sheep's clothing. There are lots of people who are saying, I am preaching the word of God, whose very purpose it is to destroy the people of God. The scripture says for us to try the spirits, prove them to see what they were, to see what they're from and where they're from, and who they preach and who they proclaim. Don't you believe every preacher that gets on television or on radio? There are lots of cults. I told you on Wednesday nights and maybe even on Sunday nights, but let me repeat it. A cult is a people that look like Christians, but who do not say that this is the only word of God. They're going to add something to it. The Book of the Mormon is going to be added to it. Christian science is going to add to it. And on and on we could go. Somebody has a newer revelation than what is presented here. But the scripture says that woe be under the person that adds to or takes away. We've got to be careful that we don't start following somebody that is adding to or taking away from the word of God. And that's exactly what's happening in our society today. And people from our churches, and I don't know about this church, at least yet, and I hope I never know this, who have been beguiled by people proclaiming that they are Christian when they are nothing more than a cult who is proclaiming Christ and saying, hey, it's more than what's preached here, and I've got the last word on it. Jehovah's Witness and few others. Beware that you're not taken in somebody who's preaching something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord said go do this. The Lord said go do that. And the general says, the Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Did the Lord say that? No, the Lord did not say that. He said, the Lord said it. Be sure that you prove for yourself from the scripture what the word of the Lord is. Now, go down to verse 14. He says, do not, and he's speaking to the people on the wall, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Oh, my, now look, verse 15. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city shall not be given unto the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. Then thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me. Don't listen to the word of the Lord. 
listen to the devil. And that's what people are doing. The devil's easy to listen to. He says the things we want to hear. And that's exactly what Assyria was saying right now, what, what Rabshakeh was saying. He's saying, hey, listen to me. If you will give up, if you will surrender to me, you can all go home and sit under your own tree and eat the fruit of your own vines and your own garden. Hey, that sounds pretty good. And that's exactly what the devil is saying. Hey, I've got utopia. All you have to do is yield to me. Remember, that's what he did with the Lord himself. Out there in the wilderness, he said to the Lord, Hey, you're hungry. Take those stones and make them bread and you can have something to eat. You deserve it. You've been without food for 40 days. How many times has the devil said to you, Hey, you deserve it. Eat, drink, and be merry. Have a good time. Enjoy life. Participate in the fine, bright lights of the city. Do those things that appeal to, to the mind. Appeal to the senses. Appeal to the body's demands. Do those things because that is appealing. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It makes one feel great. So, oh, Rabshaka makes the same kind of appeal. Hey, you folk, if you don't surrender... I'm going to make it rough on you. As a matter of fact, he had told them, you're going to be so hungry, you will drink your own urine and eat your own body waste. That's how hungry you're going to be. And he said, hey, I've got an easy way out. Just surrender to me. But verse 17 finally reveals his real purpose when he says, until I come and take you away. Now listen, the Lord does not make it easy. He expects something out of his people. He expects us to walk in his footprints, to follow in his path, to live according to his requirements and his desires. Satan says, go down the broad road, eat, drink, and be merry, take life easy. But there comes a payday. The person who goes down the broad road will enter a big, wide gate. Because it has to be wide. There's that many people going through it. That's the only reason for a wide gate is to allow plenty of room for people to go through. And the end thereof is destruction. This general could say to the people on the wall, give in to me and you can all go home and eat of your own vine and sit on your own fig tree and drink the water out of your own cisterns and do all those things, but I'm going to come back and I'm going to take your slaves back to my country. Hezekiah heard all this. Look down to first verse of 37. And King Hezekiah heard it. And what did he do? He tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and entered the house of the Lord. Well, it's about time. 
the guy that tore down the altars and said there was no point in worship. He's the guy that said you don't need to go to church. And now he sees that he's about to, to lose his entire nation and he's going to lose his, his own life and it brings him to his knees and then he goes to church. I think it's a sad commentary. The only time we go to church is when there is death. We ought to be going to church when there's life. Here death is pending and he finally covers himself with sackcloth and he enters the house of the Lord. And he says to his servants, go get the prophet Isaiah. Go tell him. Verse 3, what does he want him to tell him? Tell him that the day, that this day is a day of distress, rebuke, and rejection, whether he had it right. Over in verse 6, Isaiah sends back word to Hezekiah, and he says, do not be afraid. Oh, Isaiah, what are you talking about? We've got 385,000 men around the city. We can't even put 2,000 men on horses that they're willing to give us. They've cut off our supply lines. We're going to starve to death. And he says that if we'll surrender, we can have it easy. But we, are, we don't want to do that. And Isaiah says, don't be afraid. And what Isaiah said was, the Lord is going to send word to the general that he's needed at home. We'll not read all that, but it's in there in the next few verses. And he'll go home. That's exactly what happened. Rabshakeh went home. Left his army, but Rabshakeh went home. But he wrote a letter back. He wrote a letter back and outlined what was going to happen to that nation of Israel if they didn't do something. And verse 14 then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messenger and read it. And then he went to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. If we would do more of that, our lives would be a lot richer. It's time that we spread out our problems before the Lord. And we don't do that. When was the last time you laid a problem before the Lord? Maybe you have. But I want to ask a basic question that goes back to the question that, that uh, Rabshakeh asked these people as he shouted at them upon the wall, In whom dost thou trust? I want to ask you the question, where is your trust? Where is your faith? What are you depending upon for your security? We trust lots of physical things. We want something dependable. I remember one time my brother was out looking for a used automobile. He went downtown to a car lot, and there were lots of cars parked on the lot. And he did all the things anybody does. He kicked the tires and where there were keys in the car, and there weren't many, but he started the engine, he raised the hood, he looked on the road, he looked in the trunk, he did all those things, only to discover he was on a parking lot, not a used car lot. We look in the wrong place 
too many times. We look in the wrong place. What are you depending upon that you can really put your faith in? What is it in your life that assures you that you've got something worthwhile? Well, Scripture says in Luke 12, 15, that a man's life consists not in the abundance of that which he possesses. Well, if life does not consist in the physical things that I possess, then where is life? Paul said to the Galatians, Be not deceived. God is not, not, not. But whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Where are you sowing? Where are you sowing? You might say to me, well now look preacher, I understand all this stuff, but I'm telling you I'm just as good as your church people. I'm just as good as your need. Matter of fact, I'm just as good as you are. And you know something? That's right. Let me tell you, if you're not better than I am, you're not going to get to heaven. If you're not better than the deacons of this church, you're done and lost it. If you're not better than the best member of this church, you have the ghost of a chance. Because it is not by our morality that we enter heaven. It's by the grace of God that we get there. Jesus said, I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And let me tell you, I want to say with Paul, I am the chief of sinners because I want Jesus Christ to come for me. If he's coming for sinners, you can bet I want to be one of them. I don't want to be righteous. Because he didn't come for the righteous, he came for the sinner. And if one thinks that his morality, one's righteousness, one's good life in this world, being a good neighbor and paying your taxes and being kind and generous and uh, to your family is going to save you, you are going down the wrong road because Jesus is not on that road. If a person wants to be righteous, he's going to have to even be more righteous than the Pharisee. And they were ones that kept the very letter of the law. But Jesus said, except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. Can you do that? Jesus came to call people like Mary Magdalene. Who was so wicked? So full of the vile things of this world that Jesus had to cast seven devils out of her to get her saved. How many devils you got you? But the Lord Jesus Christ came for that kind of person. He came for that woman who was taken in the very act of adultery and the men of the church brought her to Jesus and said, We found her in the very act. 
And the law says we ought to stone her to death. What do you say? And Jesus said, He that is without sin cast the first stone. The scripture tells us the stone started dropping. Dropping. And finally the Lord said to the woman, Where are your accusers? And she looked around and there wasn't any. We seem to mistake morality with salvation. And I'll guarantee you that a person who is saved ought to be moral. A person who is saved ought to be as righteous as he can be. But don't depend upon those standards to get you into heaven because it is by the grace of God that we're going to be saved. Now there are lots of people who believe that you can get into heaven by being good enough. Don't have to trust in God. Just trust in yourself. All I've got to do is be good. Work my way in. I knew a fellow one time who was a member of church many years ago that I was pastor. His name was Jake. He was teaching the junior high Sunday school class when I got acquainted with him as becoming pastor. He invited me over to his home one evening. He told me a story, a tragic story. He said he didn't used to go to church. He didn't think it was necessary. He had never accepted Christ as Savior. He thought his morality, he was a good man. He thought that that would save him, his good works. He'd be all right. He said his teenage son went to church every Sunday and every Wednesday. And every said he never failed on Sunday morning to try to get me to go. And he said, Dad, won't you go to church with me this morning? And I'd say, son, I don't believe I'll go this morning. Maybe I'll do that next Sunday. He said that went on and on and on. And one Monday morning, after the same thing that happened on Sunday, the boy went out hunting with one of his friends and set his gun down across the fence, as so many foolish fellows do when they're crossing the fence, and the gun just dislodged him and shot him, killed him, hit him in the chest. He said, I spent days and days and days, night and day, reading my scripture to find out the answer. Why? And he said, finally, I came to the answer. But life does not consist just of being good and nice and kind. But life has no meaning unless it's found in Jesus Christ. He said, my son had that and I didn't have it. And that man and his wife accepted Jesus Christ and both of them became Sunday school teachers. But can you imagine he taught the very class that his son was a member of after he received the Lord Jesus Christ? He realized it was not by his good works that he was saved, but by faith in Jesus Christ. I was teaching a Sunday school class one time when there was a preacher's wife there from another denomination. I don't even remember the denomination now, but I'll never forget what she said. She said, I don't believe that God will send anyone to hell. You know, she's right. At the time, I wouldn't agree with her, but now I know she's right. 
God will do everything in his power to keep a person from going to hell. As a matter of fact, he erected a barrier across the door of hell to keep people out. And people will tear down the barrier and trample over to get in. And what is it but the cross of Jesus Christ? If you want to go to hell, you're going to have to trample over the body of Jesus Christ to get there. Now you can do it. It's your own choice. But you'll have to make it. I heard a story of a man who attended a revival meeting. He'd been presented with the gospel, but he didn't do anything about it that night, and he went home, walked down the street to his house, and he had a white picket fence in front of his house with a, with a picket gate. And he stopped in front of his gate. He told this story on himself. And he said, I said to myself, before I go through that gate, I'm going to make up my mind to accept Jesus Christ as Savior or to reject him. He said, I put a hand on each side of that gate, and I stood there, and I stood there, and finally I said, no. And he said, and to this day, I have never heard the call of Jesus Christ to my soul again. Because I said, no. And there's nothing more the Lord can do. Nothing more. I tell you this evening, but if you're not a Christian, you can make the same decision that that man made, and you can simply say no. Just plain no. Or, you can say, I don't want to decide now. But that's saying no. Or you can say, yes, I want to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. The scripture teaches emphatically that there is a hell. Saturday night I'm going to preach about hell. It teaches emphatically there is a hell. It teaches us that there is a place to which Satan and his angels will be condemned for an eternity called the lake of fire. And it teaches that hell and all that are in it will be cast into the lake of fire where the devil and his angels are. God does not want to condemn anyone to an eternal damnation. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.